Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 273. I am John Davis, and joining me today are Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, and Jessica Ray. And let's jump right into it. We've got three vehicles we want to talk about. And actually, we've got a fourth one, which is just arriving on the scene. And we'll get to that later in the show. And it's something really special for nostalgia fans. But let's start off with the here and now and the 2022 Volkswagen Golf R, a hot little hatchback. Greg, why don't you take us through it? Yeah, I'll be the hot little hatchback expert here. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we recently tested one at uh, Roebling a few weeks ago. And um, this is now we are in the Mark 8 generation. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I think we're up to eight of uh, the Golf, the GTI Golf R. So we're talking specifically the Golf R, which is a step above the GTI. Um, which uh, here in America, I think we're just down to the GTI and the Golf R, if I'm not mistaken, or will soon be at the very least. Um, all you need to know is uh, that R uh, essentially means high performance when it comes to the Golf lineup. Um, so it, it takes the GTI, which is already kind of souped up. Uh, the GTI, you get a 288 horsepower turbo four-cylinder. But when you go up to the R, you get 315 horsepower out of it. 310 pound feet of torque. And um, I definitely noticed that torque uh, around the racetrack. It, it felt pretty torquey. But on the whole, I have to kind of, you know, when I compare the car to, let's say, a Civic Type R, it's not quite as hyper as a Civic Type R. It's not kind of, you know, loud and boy racerish or racer ish like the Type R is. It's, it's a little more subdued, even though I wouldn't consider the Golf R subdued per se just relatively compared to you know the really hot hatch the the civic type r um so would you say would you say it's an alternative though i mean after all the the uh, gti kind of began the whole hatchback uh, hot hatchback thing eons ago would you say it's an alternative or is it a step down no, I'd definitely say it's an alternative. It just it's a matter of what you prefer. Do you want, you know, something on the street that is like that will like really beat you up in the Civic Type R and probably maybe like marginally uh, more capable on the track than, you know, Honda's the way to go. I think the the Golf R is definitely comparable, just um, not necessarily a step down, maybe just not quite as high performance as the Type R, but still very, very close. And uh, I think more well-rounded as just a car. Um, but Brian. certainly, uh, certainly, I think the GTI is probably the sweet spot most people are looking for. But yeah. if you're like really a fan of speed, you like to autocross or even take it on a racetrack like we did, Golf R is probably the way to go. Um, even though 315 horsepower is not a ton of horsepower, Roebling Road Raceway, a lot of high-speed turns, uh, lower horsepower cars can tend to get lost on, on those turns. I didn't find that um, Robinson. I know we kind of had a deep discussion about this car. We had, we kind of felt uh, opposite at first. I liked it right away. had a lot of fun in it. Um, treated it like a momentum car. It does have all wheel drive, various drive modes, including a drift mode. I'll get to that in a minute, but 
Robinson, it kind of took you a minute to warm up to it. Yeah, that's probably the only deep conversation I've ever had with anyone. So uh, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I would echo your comments. It's very smooth and refined, uh, feeling lots of power. Feels more European than ever, uh, but it launches like crazy doing the acceleration runs and that thing. Uh, it was, I wasn't expecting it to launch that hard. Uh, and I was really impressed with the trick all wheel drive setup. I know you were kind of hitting at that. You, if you want to talk more about that. Yeah. And uh, to your point about launching, we did have the DSG model. So that's the dual clutch automatic. <clears throat> you can get a manual in it. Basically there aren't many options you can have with the golf R you essentially get it. And it's like the top of the line. Uh, but you can choose a six-speed manual or a seven-speed DSG. Uh, we had the DSG. So that's why probably the launch was so exciting because it was just like a hammer the left brake pedal and then let go and you're off. Uh, but yeah, back to the whole uh, all-wheel drive system. You know, I, I, I went right to um, race mode, which, you know, I assumed would be the ideal mode for going around a racetrack. You know, there's there's comfort sport, race, special, drift, and individual. It's a lot of drive modes. You just keep hitting buttons until you find the one you like. I thought it would be race. It turned out that uh, it really wouldn't let me get away with a whole lot. Uh, kind of cut power from me, and I just felt like there was more that the car offered that I wasn't getting. And then I threw it into drift mode, thinking that, you know, I, I didn't have high expectations of it drifting around the track, and it didn't. At least I wasn't able to do it. But that was the mode. That's how I got the most out of the car, which I think because it just it it was distributing more torque to the rear and to each side, I would assume. I mean, I, I can't sit here and tell you that I felt the power going to each individual rear wheel, but I definitely felt freer and like I, I was able to slide it around more and ultimately just throw it into a corner faster. Uh, because, again, it's I mean, it's a 315 horsepower car with all wheel drive you can feel pretty confident just throwing it around on that specific racetrack and, you know, not have to worry about it too much. Yeah. Anytime it gives you like a reality check, when you choose a mode, it's like, are you sure you want to be in drift mode? And that's the, definitely the mode you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't, don't let it scare you if you're in that. Uh, but to back to the, um, uh, the shift or the, the transmission, which kind of brings me into the interior, uh, that, that's been pretty heavily updated and they've gone toward the whole uh, haptic feedback buttons and sliders and there's not a whole lot of physical buttons, uh, which I'm not a fan of, uh, but what I am a fan of is the shifter, which it's just like a switch essentially forward and back. Um, it's actually really simple, easy in operation. Um, I think that's that's a nice upgrade, but I will say some of the other buttons like the sun shade is like a slider. Like you, you literally to open the sunshade, you put your, you go up to the top where the button would traditionally be. And instead of pushing something, you just like slide your finger back mm. and it's, and it works uh, yeah, consistently, weird. but it's just, it's a little bit weird if, yeah. <laughs> for just about everybody who's ever opened a sunshade or a sunroof. Jessica, do you that, spend any, any time in it? I spent a little bit of time in it. I think, um, I think it looks so good. Like I, 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 one of the things I like about the, the new generation and I did a lot of uh, like taking pictures of it while it was going like high speed on the track. And that car was probably the one that 
seem to look the best in all of my pictures. Like huh. there was something about it, like the lines. I love just like the front fascia where the badging is with like the, the light bar. Like I, I think it just looks really, really good. Um, it's probably because I was driving it so slow. You had plenty of time to get it in, in focus. No, no, that was me, Brian, not you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I took it around the track a couple times. Uh, uh, I, and it was, uh, and it was really fun. You definitely couldn't push it probably as much as, um, you know, like Greg had mentioned, uh, but certainly I don't push car cars quite as hard as, uh, these guys do um but it was uh it was really fun i mean uh and like i said i think it's like really attractive and i uh definitely i think the price point too is is right around that type r so seems to me i think having more choices is certainly a good thing you know 44, it, it 44 felt, grand by the way is roughly the starting price it felt so nailed down to use you know all these old cliches uh, again Brian and Greg, you drive a lot faster than, than I do, but, you know, taking it around the track, you just felt like you were in a car that was weightier than it is. It wasn't that it felt heavy, but you just felt so darn secure in the thing. Solid. Just really solid. I, I, I mean, I've always been a, a golf fan, but talk about evolving and just getting better and better. I mean, you know, it, they've really done a terrific job. I definitely would have liked to have tried a manual uh, for obvious reasons, but uh, to the DSG's credit, it felt like it was always in the right gear. And that's just something I feel like car manufacturers are just getting better at with these automatics. I mean, they, they really tune them so that they, I mean, they know before you do what gear to be in a lot of them do. So I honestly didn't even use the paddles, which traditionally I have done in automatic cars that had them. Uh, this one, I just let it do its thing and it, it was fine. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to another vehicle that we had uh, at Roebling, that, and this is from Cadillac, and Cadillac has been doing something called the Black Wing, a CT4 and a CT5V, and they say the last high-performance internal combustion engine sedans they're going to do, and at Roebling, we had the CT5V Black Wing. Brian Robinson, why don't you take the lead on this pretty amazing yeah. car? Absolutely. Uh, we talked a little bit about on our driver's choice uh, podcast, uh, certainly deserving of an award for that. Uh, it's essentially uh, a sedan version of the most powerful Chevy Camaro you can imagine, yeah. uh, but, but with a much nicer interior and room for more people. It's a very um, good way to describe it. Big power from 6.2 liter V8, supercharged. Uh, they build those down in Bowling Green, the Corvette plant, um, uh, with only the best GM engine builders, and uh, 668 uh, horsepower. That's by far the most powerful Cadillac ever production. Still shy of Hellcat numbers, but uh, Cadillac certainly put a lot more effort into handling department, uh, which we found out at Roebling. Uh, it wasn't crazy oversteer city uh car just hunkers down and powers out of corners uh pretty amazingly uh it doesn't even like to do burnouts even in straight line stuff it just hooks up and takes off uh i was sitting like three mid three 
zero to 60 is just consistently 11, seven, mid 11, uh, second quarters. Uh, you get six speed manual or 10 speed auto, uh, 10 speed auto is a couple tenths quicker. We had the manual, um, which it's all Tremec stuff. Same as, uh, Chrysler uses in the Hellcats and all. I mean, it's beefy. It's, it's awesome to work. Uh, biggest brakes ever on a Cadillac. They work great. Uh, just felt super solid and capable. If you remember the V8 M3s that everyone hated, yeah. um, it felt like a bigger, nastier version of that. I mean, it was definitely world-class, something Cadillac's been striving for for years. I think they nailed it. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, it's, you know, how, how much longer is it going to be available? Yeah. Uh, not much longer. Um, but if this is the way to say goodbye to gasoline powertrains at Cadillac, I guess awesome way to do it. 85 grand to start. Ours was well over 100 over grand 100, yeah. uh, with options. But it's definitely something you could take to car shows for years and be the only one there for sure. You know, we gave our best uh, sports sedan award. We were so impressed with both the Black Wings, both the CT4 and CT5, that uh, we grouped them together for our Driver's Choice Awards. But, you know, when's the last time, and I can't remember, when we might have driven a manual transmission Cadillac? Uh, ATS, uh, ATS oh, you're two right. liter Absolutely. at Roebling. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't that I, long ago. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, we, we might have had another V model thrown in there uh, yeah. in between just at, just at uh, home base. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> the, this uh -oh. car, you know, we always go down with, you know, we had a Lamborghini a Huracan STO this year, uh, a couple different Porsches. Um, and yet people were still drawn to this Cadillac wherever we went at the gas station or if we were at a yeah. restaurant, people came up asking about it. And it's, it is a, it's a beefy looking vehicle as in beefy as in like a lot of horsepower, but I still feel like it's kind of a sleeper. I mean, when you say 668 horsepower, mm. I feel like we kind of glance over that in a four door Cadillac. I mean, that is like ridiculous. We were talking about the, the 2012 uh, Shelby GT500 with 662 horsepower, you know, about 10 years ago. And now we're just throwing around 668 in a sedan. And then you combine it with the fact like it's like anti uh, Hellcat and how it handles on a racetrack where I'm with Robinson. I assumed, you know, I was babying it the first couple of laps because I assumed it was just going to be spinning the rear end out on me, but like I had to work to get anything out of, uh, you know, uh, oversteer wise. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. The engineering Cadillac put in this thing. Mm -hmm. Jessica, you you've been quiet. It's so funny because um, obviously when we had it at Roebling, uh, pretty much everybody was singing its praises and I think for good reason. And then, um, you know, I've talked to some other members of the press, uh, automotive press, who have, uh, you know, sort of trickling, getting their press vehicles of, of the, the CT5V Blackwings. Um, and pretty much the consensus is all the same. And, pretty, and also one of the things that people just love about it, and I mentioned it, uh, you know, in our Driver's Choice podcast was like how it sounds. I mean, it just sounds so good. And um, so one of my favorite things is when somebody gets one of those press cars is one of the first things they do is they upload a clip of, of the exhaust and like how it sounds because it sounds that good. Um, 
So no, I mean, incredibly impressive vehicle. I think Greg's right. It is a sleeper. I don't think you realize what you had under that, um, under that hood. And I got to say, I'm not the world's biggest fan of like styling wise Cadillac um, sedans kind of recently. I, I personally don't feel that many of them have, have aged well, but there's something about these, uh, the new like CT4 and the CT5 specifically in their like V series and Blackwing trim that uh, I think will age very well. They really turn heads. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right about that. It's everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. um, it was kind of the opposite experience when I drove it uh, at the track. I was expecting heavy pushing and it was none of that. It was like, gosh, what am I in? Because <laughs> Uh, you know, thinking back uh, to the more compact Cadillacs that we've driven, where they just finally got all of the sports sedan aspects right to be able to uh, do it in this big a car. I think it just shows that when GM puts their mind to it, they can really turn out some amazing vehicles. I, I kind of hope they're going to be able to transfer this kind of know-how into whatever's going to follow in the all-electric arena certainly do hate to see it gone um we've got one more vehicle we want to talk about before we head down the list of our lightning round our quest and our little surprise at the end and that's the 2022 infinity qx 60 jessica why don't you take us through the uh the latest from infinity sure uh def I've, I've definitely mentioned it before i went on the the first drive event uh i can't even remember when but um, but yeah, so the Infinity QX60 is uh, the Infinity version, essentially, of the Pathfinder. And so um, huge updates all around. It's pretty much a home run, I think, for Infinity. I've already seen quite a few on the road so far. Uh, and I know that Infinity is seems to be prioritizing it in their manufacturing uh, because it is Exterior-wise styling, if you take a look at it, it's less crossover-y and certainly more utility-like. It's very box. It's much more boxy than before. Um, kind of following suit with how the how the new Pathfinder looks. Clearly, they're related, um, but I think that the Infinity is the more attractive one for sure. Um, Exterior-wise, obviously great, but. Big news in the interior uh, in the powertrain department is that same engine, 3.5 liter V6, uh, that has 295 horsepower and 270 pound feet of torque, but it has the new nine speed automatic transmission uh, instead of a CVT, which I know will make a lot of people happy. And I also think what it does is it. Um, for a lot of people that no longer who were in that market of this upscale uh, three-row uh, utility segment, you know, I think people probably for a while styling-wise and powertrain-wise put the QX60 on the back burner. I think now you can take a look at it and be like, all right, wait a second, let me see, that might be an option. Um, Interior-wise, also really nice. Um, because it, it just seems like it's it's incredibly simple uh and pretty elegant too yeah pretty pretty elegant i mean uh i 
when I think about it, I think about like something that would be like a direct comparison. And to me, I think like the, the MDX, the Acura MDX is sort of like a direct um, competitor for something like the QX60. Um, and, you know, like I, I think about how if I was like an absolute touchpad hater and that was a complete uh, deal breaker for me, I like the Infinity QX60's infotainment, just everything is like really smartly laid out. The touchscreen, I think, was like a perfect size. Everything, like the quality of materials felt really good. Um, so it just seems like Infinity really, really, really thought about this vehicle. And um, I was incredibly impressed with it. I mean, it's, it's pretty standard powertrain wise. It has enough power. It has enough get up and go um, for pretty much what anybody who's hauling around uh, probably people are going to need. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I think overall, just, just very impressive uh, from Infinity. Brian or Greg? Yeah, I would, I would agree with uh, all of that. It's a Pathfinder with a better ride, better looks, nicer better leather. interior. And uh, it is the same engine, but they get a few more horsepower out of it mm -hmm. in the Infinity. So you're paying more. Uh, it's wise that they do that. Um, yeah, I yeah, agree. I'm, I'm looking at this autograph trim QX60 and the seats are just like beautiful. Like they're just really striking me right now. They kind of look like... Like a fresh uh, baseball glove, and yeah. in the be in the best way possible. You know, on that, I I was going to bring it up later. I'll bring it up now. We've got a long term Nissan Pathfinder, and everybody that I've been driving around in it remarks how upscale the interior of it is, and the QX60, the the autograph interior is they've they've made it really special as well. So it's like Nissan has updated and moved up market both the interiors to a way above what I think we expected or what we found in the last generations. So I agree with you on that. It, it looks like a really nice place to spend a lot of miles. Don't let me be the last word. <laughs> I cut you off, Greg, what else? No, I mean, I was probably just going to keep going on about baseball uh, if, if you let me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you're like the only one that's there's you're the only baseball action going on right now. So yeah. <laughs> I'm like, don't, that, that's what I'm saying. Don't get me started. Let's move on. Uh, they did start spring training. Um, do you think when you got, when you spent time in the QX60 that it's more than just a gilded pathfinder. Do you think it was tuned differently? Did it ride differently? I mean, we've talked quite a bit about the pathfinder getting more back to its more rugged roots. And I think it's ride is, is suffered in just a little bit in that aspect. Do you think that if somebody hopped between the two of them, they wouldn't think hey, this is just a dis different wrapper on the same vehicle? That's tough. Yeah. I, I'm more inclined to say yes, that it is sort of, it's a, cause they're so closely related, you they know, they really are. And that's not a bad thing. Like 
them being so closely related and it sort of being just different packaging that's better I don't think that's necessarily it, it's bad I really did think that the ride was tuned substantially different it was a lot more it was a lot cushier there's a little bit more roll to it but I thought if you were looking for uh, a three-row luxury vehicle it, it that's what it is yeah. I mean, I also think it just goes to show how like nice cars are now. Like, it's like how nice can Nissan make the Pathfinder so that they can still, Infinity can still make a QX60, Right. you know, like, uh, because I imagine you could, you could probably charge a little bit more of a premium on a Pathfinder, have it tuned exactly the same as a, a, a QX60 but it, it, you have to make them different because one is supposed to be luxury and one is not. So it's, it's the old badge engineering. Aspect. Right. Yeah. The gap is, I think, just getting smaller and smaller and smaller every year. Anybody else? Well, okay. Let's move on to our lightning round. And it's all about our uh, kind of old uh, love-hate relationship with Rivian. Rivian is added once again, and they're once again in the hot seat. Uh, the upstart EV automaker announced recently that they were raising the price on their R1T pickup pre-orders by $12,000 and $14,000 on the R1S SUV pre-orders. And so this took it from, what, 70 up to about 90 after uh, the backlash from the reservation holders, and I say there's also a lawsuit pending, Rivian backtracked the price hike and their CEO uh, is quoted as saying, it was wrong and we broke your trust in Rivian. What do you all think about what they did, why they did it? And is this kind of what's going to happen with some of these newer companies? What do you think? Uh, I can't say I'm shocked by any part of this uh topic <laughs> uh you know things are getting more expensive like literally by the second now um so yeah i believe that uh the company would say hey we actually need more money than we said you needed uh <laughs> to buy our product and then i totally believe that people who wanted those products were like well i don't like that and i wish you wouldn't do that and you know, went on social media and started complaining and rightfully so. Uh, and then <laughs> that same company capitulated. It was like, all right, you're right. You win. We'll, we'll, we'll take it back. But we're, we're now we're going to start losing money. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure which move. Uh, they were both business decisions, right? I mean, every, we all knew that those prices weren't sustainable. Uh, they're not Toyota where they can just take a loss on every Prius they sell for years upon years until they would get a turn on their investment. Um, so, uh, but you know, Hey, they did the right thing, getting bad publicity. And the smart thing would have been just to raise it by $500 every couple of months. Instead right. Of, like everybody you know, else, 12 does. grand all at once. That's yeah. a little extreme. That is probably the most shocking thing of this whole question is that like they, they went from zero to a hundred and no time flat. Yeah. Well, I just don't think they think like a like a traditional auto manufacturer. And I don't think that's necessarily always a bad thing. 
Um, but I think in this case, it definitely was not the smart, smartest move. Um, you know, their CEO talking about, you know, uh, sort of breaking the trust that people have in Rivian. I think that's really important. How much trust the... is there really? They've been around for what, four, five years? Right. But that's the, that's the thing. Like they want to be Tesla. They want to have mm-hmm. um, that image that fan base people who are just so enamored with the vehicle that it doesn't matter what they do because because if well if let's say hypothetically tesla rate you know announced or in their configurator that the uh uh which they do this happens actually with tesla uh, it's happened quite a few times yeah let's not pretend tesla is a saint of a company no 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 but i'm just saying like you know, we've seen them raise their prices $5,000 and nobody blinks an eye. They're like, oh yes, of course, of course they're raising their prices. They need more money to make more cars or something like that. So I think Rivian wanted, try, was trying to sort of make a move like that and also maybe get publicity because guess what? It did, it made the news. Everybody was talking about it. We're talking about it now. Um, yeah, I- I think I'm a little more cynical. I, I think they kept the price where they, you know, low to start to get all the publicity. And once that is subsided, then they basically got back to reality. I agree with Brian. They should have basically uh, inched this up all along and nobody would have probably cared. But, you know, that's a big increase. That's well, a think- there's people who have had these trucks on order for four years yeah yeah. and so you know four years ago they're like oh yeah i'm fine with putting down seventy five thousand dollars and buying this truck and then all of a sudden you say oh just kidding it's now Mm going to cost you much closer to six figures than you anticipated um that's that's a difficult thing to wrap your head around even in the current situation that we're in. Uh, yeah, no, that's people, people want, people want to see the car. They want to drive the car. They want to experience the car, but, but uh, yeah. Yeah, our gas prices are going up like 10 cents from the time I pick up the nozzle to uh, put it in the car. <laughs> so it's probably very par- it parallels it probably in similar rate hike. <laughs> hey, hey, let's deviate a little bit from what we're going to talk about. Let me ask you about that. Um, do you think with these high gas prices, which could last for quite a while, who, who the heck knows, mm-hmm. um, is that going to push more people into trying EVs or plugins or anything? Do you have an opinion, anyone? I, I think, why wouldn't it? I mean, how could you, if you're in the car market now and you're literally seeing, you're, yeah, I think PHEVs, the plug-in hybrids are going to be the, the first things that are on people's mind. Um, probably as they should be. Um, but yeah, I mean, how can you not? Robinson, while he was exaggerating a little bit, as he might or might not do from time to time, uh, <laughs> he, he's actually not that far off. I mean, it's literally, and like as we're recording this, overnight has gone up like eight cents. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, now in, in Maryland, we're pushing almost four and a half dollars a gallon. Uh, so yeah, I think if you were already in the car market and you're experiencing these steep, steep price hikes, you're like, oh, maybe a, a, a Prius Prime is is speaking to me a little bit more. Or even a regular hybrid, you know, yeah, where you basically see a huge jump in mileage. Brian or 
Jess? Uh, it's all part of their plan to get us to buy EVs, man. It's been in the works. <laughs> it's been in the works. Talk a about conspiracy. <laughs> well, you know, uh, this isn't the first time this has happened. And granted, I wasn't driving when um, during the like Rub first of the, the, the price hikes in uh, like 2010. But like, I think a lot about, uh, I mean, we were in a pretty bad recession then, to be fair. But like cash for clunkers, I think about that a lot. And uh, because my aunt for cash for clunkers, first thing she bought was a, a Prius. And like, she was getting like 55 miles a gallon in her little Prius in 2013 while everybody else is paying over $3 a gallon for gas. And, you know, back then it was obviously jarring. Um, so I think yes, but it's almost hard to tell because we're still in this weird place with like selling cars like it's going to be it's difficult to get a PHEV I mean you want to buy a RAV4 Prime good luck like it's it's incredibly difficult um so certainly maybe like used hybrids might be um you know more more valuable anything that's used might be a little bit more valuable um than it already is because everything seems to be you know cost wise everything is up um but well I mean I've heard of uh, at least one uh, dealer in our area uh, overnight slapped like a thousand dollars extra on to every hybrid on their lot. So uh, I could see that money to be made. Mm -hmm. Somebody will make it mm -hmm. um, for our email question today or our web question. We're going to go to one that uh, we've gotten a lot lately, and I think we probably should do some explaining. Uh, a number of folks have uh, queried us as to why we have stopped doing braking tests as part of our tests. And we haven't stopped, but would anybody like to expand on the answer a little bit? Well, I can assure you we still do them. Uh, as somebody who goes to the track still fairly regularly, uh, every car we do take to the track, we do do braking tests. We have all the numbers. Uh, we've recorded them uh, just and uh, John, you and Robinson can speak to this a little bit more, uh, but uh, we just don't always have time because we are a television show. We're set to uh, an exact time limit and sometimes we just don't have time for it. And then when yeah, it comes to Roebling, we don't do them. Oh, go ahead, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, 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 I was just saying Roebling, we have traditionally not done uh, just because exact breaking numbers. We're basically down there trying to test 11 to 12, 11, 12, 14 cars in three days. Well, it's not so much a timing issue is we have more relevant, you know, we're on a full track running high speeds. We can talk more about how they're doing on a track versus just straight line stomping on the pedal, uh, which is a lot more interesting. Uh, I will say the less seeing the braking test less mostly started last season when we were doing anniversary uh, show things where we had 30 seconds of every road test was like a flashback to a previous. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had to cut. So we had 30 seconds less to talk about stuff. And mm -hmm. oftentimes it was the breaking test that uh, got the sacrifice on that. Uh, I haven't really seen it as much this season. I think we're uh, including them. Um, I wouldn't say every time, but most pretty of the close. Time. Yeah. Pretty close. And you know, it's, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, it, 
it isn't sometimes it isn't just the breaking test every now and again some little tidbit might get uh cut like greg had mentioned for time we only have a fixed amount of time um but usually the almost always those numbers will end back up on our website yeah. uh, i make it a point to try and make sure that if anything gets cut a figure like that fuel economy um we usually don't ever cut like zero to 60s or something like that but if anything does get cut i try to put it back on the website so that that information is available it's not a conspiracy um we're not hiding anything um it's just a logistics thing i think uh folks know they watch the show that you're putting together a show where you have lots of different segments is a jigsaw puzzle and when you get to put all of the pieces together, uh, sometimes one of the pieces doesn't fit or a couple of them don't, or something pops up that we want to add to, say, motor news that's happened or and we just don't have time for everything. So there's so much good information about all of the vehicles that Brian does such a terrific job of trying to cram into uh, a five minute uh, test that sometimes, unfortunately, a few things get left out. But trust us, breaking tests are still being done. And we will uh, make sure that whenever possible, they are there front and center. And most cars stop really, really well now. This is not like retro reviews where you're seeing them lock up and <laughs> yeah. pull to the left. I mean, they're almost like, the, the. I mean, they are, the to me, the most boring part of my time out there because they're just so consistent. Nothing ever happens differently and they all stop, you know, relatively short. So if something is out of the ordinary, we, we certainly do mention it. Uh, but the fact is cars are so good at stopping now. It's just like, they're, they're all fine. Yeah. And that brings us to what we were saving uh, from the beginning. And that is for nostalgia fans, anyone basically, uh, you have to be pretty nostalgic. You almost have to be my age to remember the heyday of the Volkswagen microbus. Well, to in the words of one of our staff, it has been uh, reincarnated as the Volkswagen ID Buzz, and it's got that ID, so that means it's all electric. It's at, it, the news is out, the photographs are out, some of the specs are out, all electric. Do here probably about a year from now in Europe, a little before that, is the microbus making a comeback that was worth waiting for? And Brian, as you mentioned uh, off mic. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah, right after the new Beetle came out in the, like the late 90s, they had pictures of a new uh, van and were like, yep, this is going to be next. This is what, but whatever. Uh, we we all love the ID4, and this is essentially a much cooler looking version of that uh, with a third row. So uh, what's not to like? Yeah. I like that it won't be here until 2024. We're still waiting. <laughs> yeah, where's the thing not true. to like? I mean, we're supposed to get the lo a long wheelbase version. The the initial five passenger version hits uh, Europe sometime this fall. I mean, I think. I mean, I think it looks cool. It does uh, interior wise, I think is very very familiar. Obviously, from from what we've seen in uh, in the ID four, um, but you know, it's just one of those things that like. There's no comparable on the market right now. Nobody else is doing something like this. And uh, hey, will it be the first all electric minivan in this country? If probably, 
uh, as long as the only other only other company that's announced that one's coming, I think, is Chrysler. Chrysler. Yeah. So, so I think they said like it should be all of Chrysler should be all electric by 2025. Yeah. So, so and there's this two is probably going to be here first. <laughs> yeah. 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 This I imagine will be here. Will be here first. Now, I mean, it's cool. It's quirky. I think yeah. there's, um, you know, there's definitely a market for it, and it seems like it. It is uh, like spacious and you know could work as a utility which people want for a bus yeah how long a cargo version of it so yes. <laughs> there you go i wonder how long before somebody will try and do a, a pop-up camper version of it i'm, oh, I'm seeing yeah. nothing but like instagram influencers in this thing i just i know in a few years my instagram feed if i still have it god help me uh will just be <laughs> loaded with people and ID buzzes wearing clothes from the 60s and doing whatever it is influencers do, influencing people yeah genius marketing idea for chrysler instead of putting all the effort into making their own they should just make a version of this and then call it the rutan <laughs> i don't know how many people got that Good, good, oh, good. yeah, not to Google play, it. Brian. Google Volkswagen Rutan, everyone. Good play, good play. All right, so ID Buzz, it's buzzing, it's coming. Hey, before we wrap up, anyone got a rant or a rave uh, for this podcast? And they're all thinking, mm. Mm, wow, everything right with the world where you are? <laughs> well, I don't think any of us want to say the most obvious thing. <laughs> Which is gas prices. Yeah. Yeah. I say, yeah, John, I saw, well, we're testing the XC40 uh, yeah. recharge right now. That's, uh, that's our one singular EV. And I saw you called it for the weekend. <laughs> I'm going to do, um, everyone probably knows that uh, uh, Jessica is in charge of all the digital and social media aspects of Motor Week. And a lot of folks have written in about uh, we don't always run the EVs dry. We basically get a good idea of the range in real world, and that's what we present. But I've pledged that if we, with the, um, the updated uh, Volvo XC40 recharge to do everything I can to run it dry this weekend. So we'll have a real world number that just, we can basically talk just about. Just drive on the highway for a while. That's what I was doing. And yeah. uh, it was ticking off pretty quickly. Also, uh, and it's very possible, I just didn't spend enough time with it. I could not figure out how to see how many miles were left. All I saw mm. was a battery percentage. I couldn't configure the gauges or go through the screen um to figure out it didn't give me like you know you have 200 miles left yeah. it just said yeah. you have 70 percent or 50 percent battery which i found uh less than ideal yeah i don't know if you can see that in the central screen or not i i, I don't remember since it's been a while since we had one in i'm trying to remember when i was in the c40 recharge because that was the last of the ev volvos i've been in and I do remember it being very fixated on like percentages mm -hmm. um, instead of instead of miles, mm -hmm. and the 
dash cluster isn't super configurable. Um, I don't think it's really like customizable that much if, from what I can remember. I don't know how much it you're playing around it with it. It didn't seem that way. It, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to take away from it because again, I wasn't in it very long and I didn't have a ton of time to sit there and play with it. It didn't feel very intuitive. If there is a way to do it, uh, it was not apparent to me within the first few minutes of sitting down with a car. Uh, and I do this a lot. So take that for what it's worth. The last car uh, that I tried to run down to empty the last EV was a, a Mach-E. And I, I seem to recall that when it got to seven miles remaining, it stopped telling you what the, uh, where you were. So mm. you just sort of went on faith after that. And I find actually, I found that very useful, extremely useful. Brian, you, I cut you off. Uh, yeah, I have nothing meaningful to add on the Volks, uh, the Volvo gauge situation, but whoever said we don't take them down to E, uh, um, I would disagree. I've had quite a few EVs on whatever the virtual equivalent of fumes are. Uh, <laughs> it's just not something we talk about in the road test. Like we don't talk about, you know, people not putting gas in them until they're on E. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the real crux of the matter. That does happen sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More than a few. Well, thanks, everybody. I want to thank our two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson, our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos, our digital producer, Jessica Ray, who is also the producer of the podcast, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixture, back at home base. Thanks to all of you. And if you'd like to, if you're new to Motor Week, I don't know where you've been, please go to our website at motorweek.org. You can pull down the tab on the upper right about the show, put in your uh, zip code and find out which public television station in your area is carrying us and the times and days of the week and all that stuff. You can also go over to our cable partner uh, at MAV-TV and uh, take a look there at mavtv.com for their uh, scheduling information. Our youtube.com uh, slash MotorWeek website is a popular destination. Jessica, make sure that all of our latest uh, features and road tests are up there for everyone to see. We're up on PBS Living. Basically, we're just about everywhere. If you've got a screen, you can find us here at MotorWeek. And all the information is available at MotorWeek.org. Till next time, for everybody, thanks very much. I am John Davis, and thank you for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.